Welcome back to the PFC podcast. The views and opinions you are about to hear are the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of anyone else. Now on to the podcast. Welcome back to the PFC podcast. This is Dennis and today I am with Justin. How are you doing, Justin? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good. Um, so you guys might remember Justin from the uh, Calcium uh, podcast we did a while back. And uh, so just in case this is everybody's forgotten who you are, um, why don't you do just a real quick introduction? Yep. How's it going, guys? Uh, my name is Justin, and I'm a medic with Youth of Talk. Great. So what I would like to do, uh, Justin, I would like to go over some kind of uh, analgesia or sedation uh, lessons learned. Now, I know you've uh, been around the block for quite a while, both uh, operationally and training-wise, so I'm confident you are full of lessons learned. Yeah, sounds good. Sweet. So, you know, um, usually the things, and I and, I, and that's, this happens to be an area that I teach a lot about, but uh, I still see guys making mistakes, which is part of learning. But uh, usually the things I'm seeing is guys, you know, picking the wrong drug for the situation, or they're picking, you know, drastically wrong dose uh, doses for that drug. Um, I guess, uh, do you have any lessons learned as, as far as that goes? Yeah, absolutely. So I would agree with you. We In training, um, people get these misconceptions about their drugs because they're pushing saline when everyone is doing a moulage casualty run, right? We're LARPing. And the person acting has probably never pushed the drug or has limited exposure pushing said medication. And then the medic pushing it also tends to not have that much experience doing it. So you build these, these habits that are unrealistic for these drugs. Um, and then when time comes that you actually need a medication to manage the pain uh, of your patient, guys are relying on these experiences where you know they, they were built up on on fantasy on pretend land on larping and on no experience um couple that with people putting cheat sheets uh in their drugs drug boxes which is great but instead of of understanding their drugs and the dosages and the milligrams per kilogram and what really understanding their medication what's going to cause it to maybe have more of an effect less of an effect etc there, the cheat sheet is something as simple as a standard milligram dose on any patient. Just, yep, they're getting, you know, one that, that you know, we used to do in the Ranger Regiment. It was like 75 milligrams of ketamine, IV. Like that was just the dose. That was the dose that you did. Um, that has since been changed, you know, a long time ago. But uh, people doing this and then giving, you know, maybe the wrong drug for that time or that wound set or the right drug in the wrong way or pushing it too fast and just causing a lot of, a lot more problems for themselves. Um, you know, one example that comes to mind, uh, a friend of mine had actually lost his finger, right? It was just one finger. It was pretty clean. It was uh, amputated about halfway down and evolved the rest of the way down. Um, and by the time I had gotten word of this, he was already at a roll one, um, you know, which won't be named, but he was geeked out on ketamine when I showed up for a, for a finger amp. And he had said when he arrived that he wasn't in that much pain. Uh, he was more just kind of shocked that he was missing his finger. Um, 
completely geeked out on ketamine. I don't even remember the dose off the top of my head, but he was a giggling schoolgirl. Uh, and it was very difficult to really manage him and move him and do anything that we needed to do. Um, thankfully, ketamine being one of those drugs that wears off pretty fast, uh, I was able to step in and treat him with some IV fentanyl. Uh, I started with 50 micrograms on him. He's a bigger guy. And, well, no other trauma. This is easy. I'll start low and be ready to give him a little more. But the 50 micrograms of fentanyl was enough. He said his pain was manageable. He didn't really have any issues. He was able to get up and walk go sit on a helicopter and fly to a hand surgeon, uh, no questions asked. Um, interestingly enough, when he arrived where we were going, they geeked him out on ketamine again, uh, despite him saying it didn't hurt. And so they were trying to make him take an x-ray of his hand. But for those of you who are familiar with making the okay sign with your hand and holding it below your waist, and if someone looks at it, you're like, ah, I got you. Well, he had to make that hand shape for this x-ray. And so the nurses were trying to get him to make this shape with his hand. He wouldn't look at it. He just kept giggling, saying, like, I'm not falling for that one. I'm not falling for that one. Um, just a complete, complete wrong drug. When I told him he's fine, he told him he's fine, and, and everyone loves ketamine and rock on. You know, they like to party, and, and that's what they got. Um, just, a, just a classic example of a wrong drug for a wrong situation. Just because it's in, you know, T-TRIC protocols and it's safe doesn't mean it's, you know, necessarily right all the time. Right. And I think obviously all medics are different. Okay. Um, but you know, it, guys get just used to like the one drug, right? Whenever I talk about, okay, what's your plan for pain control? It's just, I have ketamine. Okay. Which is essentially, at least to me, is, is about as useful as saying I have rock. Um, yeah. you know, that's not a plan. That's a, that's a thing, right? A plan is saying, okay, in this type of situation, I'm going to draw up you know, this drug, this amount of this drug, maybe even how you're going to dilute it and how you're going to move forward to get to a goal that you have, right? That's a plan. And that's something that very, very few guys I see anyway um, actually do. You know, when you ask them, what's your plan for this guy? Like, I have... I have ketamine, right? Um, I love lamp. I love lamp. And I mean, it's right. It's good, but like, it's not a plan. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, I agree with you. And, and ketamine is a very useful drug, especially for you know, uh, both anesthesia and sedation in our environments, right? It has that wide profile of safety. You do have those analgesic effects at the lower doses. You can completely gunk someone out at the higher doses. It's an awesome drug, and that's why I think most battalion surgeons, as well as the committee on T-TRIC, have all recommended that that is, it seems to be the most prevalent drug, but it has limitations, and those limitations aren't really appreciated by medics or understood uh, or even advertised in a lot of senses. Um, I can't tell you how many lanes that I had run when I was training people that they didn't understand that 100 milligrams IM of ketamine, which is not a dose in any pain management protocol that I am really aware of for truly snowing a patient. Um, and that's what they would expect. They would, they would be shocked that the, the effect wouldn't be immediate, right? right? They, they would think that just this IM dose is an immediate effect and it's in, it lasts indefinitely. Yep. And we know that ketamine IV doesn't really last all that long, right? You might get 20 minutes if you're lucky. Yep. Um, so, you know, I think that, uh, 
just in appreciation for the medication and, and when to use it and what you're really getting and what you're not getting. And like you said, having a plan for what you're going to do and how you're going to use these drugs and what your end goals are and how those will help you get there. Right. And that comes from just a basic understanding of your medication. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, that's another thing. Guys, like, they don't really go, it doesn't seem like they go anyway beyond uh, indication, counterindication, side effects, and like a dose, right? They don't think about when's the onset time, when's peak onset time, what's the duration, and then understanding that the patient's physiology is going to have a, a lot to say about those times. Because all of those things are based on healthy people. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I think everyone, uh, especially you know, from special operations uh, medical community specifically, right, it's the majority of people listening to this, are uh, aware of the video um, of ketamine hands, right, where a medic had dosed, uh, you know, one of his, his teammates with a dose that didn't work well in the past. It wasn't really a dose recommended in now the modern T-TRIC guidelines. At that time, I don't think they were really formalized. Now it was considered a good dose. But you hear the fear in the medic's voice when he's talking. He's like, man, that's, uh, did I do this? Right. <laughs> you could see the wheels. You could hear the wheels turning. You could hear him spinning. Um, you know, and, and no fault of his own. I know that, that that medic has, from what I understand, treated many patients and never had any incidences. And that, that dose is good. But understanding that, you know, people are going to respond differently, right? And I have one of my failures that I can absolutely talk about with that. Um, I mean, multiple failures, but on one of my uh, hospital rotations, I was running, you know, sedation and anesthesia in the OR, and we go into pre-op, and this is a sedation case, so I wanted to try um, the rocket fuel or the Tiva stick or the jet fuel or whatever other, you know, uh, things are out there, uh, names for this, right, where you take a 5cc syringe, you draw 200 milligrams of ketamine, you draw 5 milligrams of Versed, you draw 100 micrograms of fentanyl, essentially shake it up and have yourself a little Beijing cocktail there for uh, anesthesia and, and sedation. Um, well, I have used this drug periodically, like very rarely in controlled environments uh, in hospitals and half, half a cc, right? Half a milliliter was great for getting people kind of calmed down. You get them to the OR, you move them over, and then that stick would last for the duration of the case. Um, one of our patients was a, uh, she was a woman, um, forties and said she drank socially, doesn't, didn't do anything else, but I was like, oh, this should be fine. Wanted to try to stick it out again, building some experience, gave her half a CC. And by the time we got to the OR, she was completely out, like out, out, hmm. like, wow, I can't believe you were down this far, we had to like completely move her onto the bed and it worked out fine. It wasn't a big deal. She didn't stop breathing or anything. But I mean, a very, very low dose, uh, 20 milligrams of ketamine, 10 micrograms of fentanyl, and what is that? Half a milligram of Versed. And she was completely sober. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but again, that's what happens, I guess, you know, when you mix your head and you're not comfortable with some, with some of the people who do this more often than we do. Yeah, of um, course. And, you know, yeah, the there. <laughs> yeah, it was a great big lesson because I mean, so not to pick you apart, right? But please do. Yeah. Um, before you would start pushing the medications, what 
I guess, kind of safety net things did you have set up? I mean, were you, did you have an airway available or a plan to get an airway if you needed to? Things of like course. that. Okay. Yeah. So, so anytime that I'm giving any medication the way I was taught, um, and I think the, the, uh, the acronym that most people use or are familiar with is MISMADE. Um, and I absolutely have a plan uh, in a good, better, best format for MISMADE anytime that I'm giving any of these medications. Um, and so, you know, that might be something as simple as a pulse ox, a entitled you know, um, you know, CO2 device like the EMMA, for example, uh, you know, squid suction and a crite kit um, in like an assault bag. Or then, you know, back in a team house or in a truck bag, maybe you have, you know, a pro pack and, uh, or equivalent, right? Like, I'm not some support. And, you know, like a machine suction and, uh, you know, innovation equipment and then the medication to be able to do that. And so just really working through, um, always having a plan for those for that to go wrong. And in that instance, I did have all of that, which was nice. Um, I didn't need it. She was breathing. She was just completely snowed. Uh-huh. Um, we didn't turn any of that off. And she was maintaining her own airway enough in that, you know, kind of unconscious state. Right. She didn't completely slump over in the bed. Like, she just kind of stayed where we left her. Um, and then, you know, eventually drove on. And it started to wear off. And we were able to go through the the uh, the rest of the procedure um, without taking her airway. Because, again, it was a sedation case. There was no re- reason to take the airway. Uh, but having all of that available, absolutely. And and I think that's something that people have to plan on anytime they're pushing any of these medications that have some of these pretty serious um, side effects, potentially, right. right? Respiratory depression, laryngeal spasm. Like, I mean, these are, these are big deal things that you need to be prepared for and have an idea of how to work through. Right. Uh, and you only do that by really going to the OR and doing it. Yep. Right. Getting with anesthesiologists and getting with CRNAs that do this every day and, are so comfortable with these drugs because they know how this is going to go down and they really understand down to the chemical level, what everything they're pushing is doing and how to manage that and have a plan for that. And it's just built into their, their sequence and their system. We can learn a lot from them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and that's, and I, and I could easily imagine somebody, you know, say you have, I don't know, a five CC or a 10 CC stick of this stuff. And, um, you know, I was like, ah, I'm going to start with a half. I'm going to be overly cautious. I'm going to do a half a CC. And then something like that happens. You know what I mean? And you're like, I did not have any of my gear ready um, because I was, I'm only doing this, right? And you think it's safe. And then something happens because you know, the patients, their patients' genetics, their body habits, their social habits, whatever it is, can be the thing that changes what's the perfect dose for that person to make them either ultra sensitive to it or, you know, very, um, uh, I guess, blunted to it, right? It's going to take a lot more to get the same effect. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and I think that that's something that you only learn through experience. And I know I'm learning uh-huh. constantly and trying to continue learning. Um, and I, I think that's something that we as as medics in this community owe it to our teammates, and, uh, you know, hopefully not, but potential patients, right. Yeah. That we should, should understand what we're carrying, um, and how to truly, you know, administer it. 
And, you know, you learn that sometimes through those, those patients that respond abnormally. And now you're like, Whoa, now what? <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and just having that plan and having everything built in so that it, it's natural and like anything else we do, right? Like you train so that you have a natural response to, you know, whatever you're seeing, right? You see bright red bleeding, you put a tourniquet high and tight. You don't think about it. It's, it's a mindless thing at this point when you're, when you're identifying these things in, in T tri C. Mm-hmm. Um, are, you know, having a plan for the drugs should be similar in the sense that if you're going to push drugs, you need to have a plan for if this goes bad. Uh, and MISMADE is a useful acronym for that. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, monitor, suction, machine, machine specifically referring to ventilatory support generally. So it could be BVM, could be a save, could be a true vent, um, but just some plan to breathe for your patient. Uh, airway, IVIO, and the drug, the actual drug that you're going to be administering, having a plan for all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also understanding the medications enough to make a logical, coherent plan, being able to take that pause and, like you said, have goals that you're trying to achieve and using the right tools for the job. Yep. You're not going to breach a door with a goose and CQB, right? Like it's not the right tool for the job. Right. We should have our the same mindset with medication. Yeah. And I mean, I think guys do have goals. I just don't think, I think they're horrible goals, right? Um, now, <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, when I ask somebody, you know, when we're doing training, I ask somebody, okay, what's what's your goal as far as pain control or sedation or whatever it is, right? And it's always like, well, I don't want them to feel pain, which, hey, that's a good goal, right? Um, yeah, right. I, yeah, I, uh, you know, it's definitely the humane thing to do, right? But people kind of fail to realize is it's not specific at all, right? You have that point where the patient no longer feels pain, okay? And it goes all the way to the patient is now dead, and at no point did he ever feel anything. So you need to have a goal that's measurable, and that measurement can be repeated through an assessment to make sure that the patient's not only not too light, but also not too deep. Yeah, agreed. I mean, that's exactly right. And that's why the American Society of Anesthesiologists discusses different um, depths or ranges in their levels of sedation um, to kind of discuss, you know, when to use for what, right? Ranging from just mild pain control all the way to, you know, general general anesthesia. Um, I mean, they, they understand what the timing is for that and how to truly manage that. And that's something that, like you said, yeah, sure. I would also like to not feel pain. I think my body hurts all the time. Right. But maybe that's not necessarily the right thing for that patient um, or realistic for that patient, right? But managing the pain might be the best bet and, and the most realistic thing for that patient at that time. So um, I guess what, what, do you, what do you use when you're talking about uh, goals for your patient? Like how do you measure things yeah so it's, it's going to depend obviously on, on right the patient's presentation and, and their mechanism of injury and the injury sustained because that ultimately we're trying to keep that patient alive and get them to the next highest level of care um with the best chance of, of surviving through you know the, the through their wounding process 
their recovery. Um, so that's going to be the priority as, as far as the pain goes, uh, controlling it so at the manageable level without putting your patient your patient's overall status at risk, right? So not, you know, doing your best not to cause massive hypotension or, or turn off your patient's breathing, right? Completely depress the respiratory system or limit your ability to monitor um, a patient depending on their injuries, especially like a head injury. Um, but just controlling that pain enough to do what you need to do and to help that patient through kind of what's going on, right? And that might be scaling up and scaling back, depending on what you're going to do, right? Like if you're going to do an invasive procedure like a chest tube, you should probably be a little more aggressive with your anesthesia and, and some sedation for that procedure. Then once you're done, maybe dial that back a little bit and just, you know, controlling their pain. Good news is the ketamine that you're carrying is going to wear off pretty quick um, to kind of drive that. If that makes sense. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, you know, you know, a conscious patient versus an unconscious patient are you using like a RAS scale or some combination of vital signs or, you know, how is it, how do you get the patient to be exactly where you want them to be and not too deep, not too light? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And one that realistically, the uh, ACRNA or an anesthesiologist would provide a much better answer on. Mm -hmm. Um, Ultimately, again, like if you have a conscious patient that is screaming in pain and you're not, you know, they're in a situation where they maybe don't have some of these wounds that would lead you to be more weary of opioids. Well, that could be an op that could very easily be an opioid patient because it's truly the best medication for pain, right? You can calm a patient down with a low dose benzo um, if needed, but those would probably be more of an opioid patient. If you have that patient who has that massive, you know, multi-systems trauma that is starting to show those those higher levels of shock. Well, opioids might be a little scarier, um, and that might be that ketamine patient where you're getting them down so they don't need to know what's going on anymore. That's a litter patient. They would just, it'd be easier for them to be snowed um, and on that litter for you to manage, and just having a plan and understanding that that's going to be a constant battle. Um, keeping them down without keeping them down too far. You know, a head injury patient, maybe you don't want to knock them down much at all if you can avoid it because you're going to limit your ability to monitor their their level of consciousness and any changes to that. Um, and then an unconscious patient, like truly un unresponsive, probably wouldn't need any pain management. Uh -huh. um, if they're responding to pain and you're going to do an incredibly painful procedure, like I'm going to again use the, the chest tube, you know, weighing that, giving some of those those drugs to, you know, protect that patient who's responding from pain, uh -huh. uh, which will hopefully, you know, protect you and your process of doing it so they're not having, creating more issues by moving around on you when you're in their chest. It would be something that's worth considering. Right. And again, like any of these, right, the, the, the MET-TC, like there, there's always an, for every perfect scenario there's another scenario that might not work um so just understanding that and the situation on the ground and, and trying to make a decision i mean it's not it's not easy and that's why it needs to be something that's rehearsed uh and rehearsed realistically and, and guys need to get more confident with their drugs yeah absolutely and really the only way you're going to do that is to actually push them 
on uh, something that's living, right? Agreed. Yeah, hundred percent. And see those instances where you have what you know normal normal reaction. For, I hate to use that word, but a normal reaction for this type of patient at this dose of this drug, and then also seeing those abnormal ones, right? Like that that instance I had. You know, it was eye-opening. I'd never seen anything like that. And now I know in the back of my mind that's a possibility. And I have a better idea of how to manage it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. It was great. But, man, the, the wrong drugs, the wrong dosages of drugs, the wrong time can really uh, can really confuse you with what's going on. You know, I'm reminded of, of a patient that was actually suffering from anaphylaxis. And uh, uh, I was not there in the initial initial care again, right? I, I showed up kind of later on and, and the people caring for her were were freaking out and asking, you know, how I would feel about innovating a patient if the need presented. And so I take a look at her uh, and she's definitely out of it. I mean, she's, you know, not here like mentally. And I'm like, oh man, she's not doing all that good, right? But Epi had been, you know, given an EpiPen, they'd started an Epi Drip, they'd started, you know, already given IV Benadryl. They were working on some of the other things. I started looking at her vital signs. She's fine. She's satting at 97%. Heart rate, 80, 80s, somewhere in there. I mean, she's she's looking comfortable. Her BP was fine, right? It was Norton within normal limits. I don't remember the exact numbers. I'd be lying to you. Sure. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me why she was so out of it mentally, right? I'm like, man, she's, she looks rough. Right. But uh, she's vitals are fine. Like she shouldn't be this out of it if she's statting ninety five or ninety seven or whatever, you know. And uh, <laughs> and her heart rate's normal and her blood pressure's normal. And what's going on? Right. And so I'm asking everyone again, you know, what drugs they gave, what drugs they gave, what drugs they gave. And finally, someone's like, "Oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot to tell you, I gave some some midazolam, uh, you know, for the anxiolytic effect." Right. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, it'll it'll uh." It'll life some anxios, you know, and get rid of that anxiousness. <laughs> um, and I'm like, well, uh, what dose do you give? And he's like, yeah, five milligrams. And I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, that'll do it. Yeah, that's why she's she's not here anymore. Right. That's a that's a big dose for for in, in this case a, a small girl. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe maybe it wasn't the right drug. I guess it it did the intent. She right. wasn't anxious. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> But, you know, having an idea of what your drug's going to do in those dosages. Oh, but yeah. I feel like that's a dose that was just like a comfort, easy, you know, it was one milliliter of, uh, you know, out of that vial and just, yep. that's a psychologically satisfying number, right? One cc, five milligrams. Like those are, those are easy numbers. Right. But, uh, made some problems because then they wanted me to maybe take an airway. Right. And, uh, that would have absolutely been the wrong answer. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah i mean you know and that kind of reminds me as well as you know doing good handovers <laughs> like they're you know obviously Super every everybody makes mistakes of course right we're all human but 100%. you know you can't make mistakes on the things i can't see you know what i mean or you shouldn't make mistakes on the things that people other people can't see like drugs um you know i forgot to tell you that uh, they have a tourniquet on right Eventually, you'll get to it, right? Yeah, yeah, you'll find it. Hopefully, I, I promise. <laughs> yeah, you'll never look at a patient like, "Yep, they've received you know five milligrams of Versed." Um, you'll never be able to see that. Nope. Okay. 
but I'll, I'll be honest. I was nervous. I mean, I was like, man, she is really, she's really hurting somehow. She's not all swollen up. Like, but right. this LOC is, is concerning. Right. Um, oh. And thank, thankfully I happened to pay extra attention to those vital signs and it kind of drove me down a different path, but very easily. I was perhaps, you know, just a little bit of experience, a little bit of luck. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I've definitely done that same thing as well, as far as giving the wrong, the wrong drug for the wrong patient potentially. Um, but yeah, that one, uh, that one really stood out to me. Right. Um, and I know I had a, uh, a fall climbing, um, where the patient wasn't clipped in and fell and landed on their arm, uh, instead of doing the proper PLF, right. Which is what, like balls of feet, calf, thigh, you know, butt and pull up muscle. This guy decided to do the like wrist, elbow, teeth, <laughs> rest of body technique yeah, off the wall, which, uh, it's <laughs> not the preferred technique. Oh, it isn't, it is a technique. True. Um, the alternate and, uh, it's the alternate technique yeah, or the advanced technique. Maybe he just hadn't mastered it. <laughs> um, but he broke his arm, right? Pretty good. It's pretty broken. And so, you know, what did I have at that time? Like most soft medics, I had ketamine and I'm like, this is it. Like this is <laughs> get ready to ride the lightning, homie. Um, and I remember trying to talk to him and calm him down. And, and he was, he was a bigger guy, but I was, you know, cautious because I don't want to send them into the party dose and create more problems for myself. So I gave 10 milligrams of ketamine to this guy and he goes from like, how it really hurts, how it really hurts. And he just stares at me and he goes, I'm never going to forget your face, man. <laughs> and I'm like, Whoa, okay. What are you seeing? <laughs> like I was a, I can't do much lower doses than that, <laughs> yeah. but like, here we go. And it was, uh, looking back, uh, probably not the right drug for this patient. Right. Cause mm-hmm. he started like not having a good time. He was worried about scars. His wife was going to kill him. Uh, I mean, you name it, there were, were all kinds of things. And I'm like, Oh geez. Okay, here we go. But this also isn't a guy I need to completely snow either. Like right. that would have made more, way more problems. So right. I just kept having to dose him when this 10 milligrams had run out every 10 minutes. Right. Uh, and it just made more work for myself than if I had perhaps gone the opioid route and just dealt with that pain and kept them with it a little more and, and bought myself a lot more time because they last a lot longer than ketamine right. right? as far as that duration. Yeah. So, you know, completely wrong, maybe not the wrong drug, but the wrong time for it and, and arguably the wrong drug for that situation. Yeah. I mean, potentially, I think, um, but I mean, had you had like a plethora of other things, right? Um, you know, I pushed past all the, the morphine and hydromorphone and fentanyl to grab ketamine to do that. I'd be like, yep, you probably picked the wrong one. But if that's the only one you got, it's between that and nothing. Well, and, and you're right. And in that sense, it, it was, um, cause that's what I had available to me, um, so I guess you make do with what you have, but again, advocating for your patient starts well before you start treating them. Right. Right. Yeah. Starts with those conversations with, you know, your, your senior medic, your, your PA, your battalion surgeon, your, you know, advocating for those guys before so that you have the right training, you have the right medication, you have, 
the right understanding and knowledge to do the most good for your dudes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, uh, I can't really think of a great situation where pairing an opioid at all is not a, a good idea. You know what I mean? Agreed. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Or even, you know, having that, having a, you know, a syringe full of lidocaine or something like that, where you, at least you get, you have options, right? You always want to give yourself as many options, options as you can. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly, right? Like the, the, you know, ketamine is a great drug, um, but it's not the only thing you should have on you. Like it's not going to treat nausea. Right. Right. Like it's, <laughs> I mean, like just, just going at some of those levels, right. It's not going to treat anaphylactic. Like, there's a whole box for a reason and it's not always the right drug for pain, even right. though it is a, you know, utilized as a pain drug. Um, you know, it is what it is. I agree with you that having a plan and having a layered approach and a proper understanding of those drugs and seeing what it does to vital signs. And yeah. The only way you're going to get there. Um, the only way you do that is rotation. Right. Like you said earlier, pushing drugs on, on living things, people. So you've been, you've been in the service for, for a hot minute. Um, looking back, if you could have seen yourself at the beginning, right? What kind of mm-hmm. advice would you give yourself as when it comes to, you know, like your lessons learned as far as analgesia and sedation? Ooh, so I'm looking back at, at private version of Justin. Yes. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, kind of awkward. Yeah, it'd be a little weird looking back at that young face. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that if I could talk to to myself now, it would, uh, or talk to myself then with what I know now, it would really be preaching how important developing a strong foundation in the basics really is. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to build a house, you can't build it on soft ground, right? You're just going to have a, just, just a bummer of a house that's going to collapse. Uh, or, you know, start falling or whatever. I don't know. I'm not an architect. Uh, it's not going to be a good house. Right. Right. But really getting that, getting that foundation and that, that true understanding and that good place to start from so that even if the rest of the house falls, you still have that strong base of knowledge to, to fall back on and to understand and it's built there. Um, and that applies to everything, right? That applies to your trauma patient assessment. Right, that your march applies to planning or uh, shooting or or any number of things that we do, and it definitely applies to, to drugs. Understanding your drugs, what am I carrying? What do they do? What do they not do? Is something I think a lot of people don't really appreciate. You know, when is it going to work? When is it going to wear off? These were things that I definitely did not understand near to the level that I should have. Um, when I was a private and, uh, you know, it, it, by the grace of God, never got me in trouble. Uh, I was never, you know, in that situation where I had that, <laughs> that, that patient that just passed out from a very minimal dose. Right. Uh, and I probably would have been a lot more nervous back then, uh, you know, having less experience, but truly understanding and building a strong foundation and just, just the basics 
not getting caught up in whatever the next sexy thing was right. um, would be what I would really harp on myself. And then knowing myself, I probably wouldn't listen, but uh, <laughs> 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 hey, shut up boomer. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what do you know? Nerd. <laughs> right. But you know, yeah. that's another thing is like, man, he's like, uh, you know, these little trends, um, these, uh, kind of the, I don't know, like these hot tips, you know what I, you know, um, like, Hey, uh, you know, I heard, uh, this other unit, they do it this way, you know, so much cooler than everything else we're doing. Right. They mix like all 12 trauma drugs into one syringe and they just carry around, you know, this 50 CC syringe and they give that to everybody. Um, you know, stuff like that when people, especially how readily people will adopt this and just do it, you know, um, it just tells me like they have zero plan whatsoever. So that thing that they just picked up is they're probably as equally practiced in that as what they should have been in the beginning. Probably, but it's cool, right? Cool guys carry big syringes full of all their drugs, right? Cool guys don't go to the hospital and push drugs. So right. nerds do cool guys go to the range. Yep. Or absolutely. That's absolutely. Not you shouldn't go to the range, but like, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no, um, maybe actually, mix it up once in a while. Yeah. You know, yeah. At least get some time at the hospital. Right. Um, yeah. You know, be but, a medic once in a while. <laughs> right. At least try and do your job. Uh, yeah, no, that's a good point because I was just thinking about patenting. I'm gonna make a a 70 cc syringe, be the PFC oh, yeah. syringe, and uh, nice. you can have it. It'll come preloaded with uh, propofol and ketamine and like all the all the all the new hotness. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm gonna throw some calcium T TXA in there as well. Um, maybe to. some yeah. antibiotics. You know, kind of mix it up. Why not? You just send it. Yeah, yep. just send it. Let's treat that rain injury with bicarb too. Yeah, well, I mean, nothing bad's gonna happen, right? So no, it'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, if you, do, if you as long as you don't understand the drugs, then nothing bad can happen. Mm -hmm. so, That's a hundred percent. If you don't believe true. it, if you don't believe it, 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 it can't happen. Well, yeah, especially if you ignore it and you don't like look at your patient or assess it, then mm -hmm. whatever happens, that was the patient's fault. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's but a seriously, fact. I mean, <laughs> but seriously, right? Like we, we want to do that next sexy thing, whatever that is, for whatever reason, like whatever's cool, whatever's, whatever's, you know, more hip or yeah. whatever the kids are saying these days. <laughs> I mean, right. Like people still are like, I don't like that tourniquet. I want to carry this tourniquet. You're like, man, the committee on T-Tri-C has approved a bunch of tourniquets. You picked one that isn't approved. Like that's not an option. You get one of these ones. They're like, nah, those tourniquets are lame. Right. You're like, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. But people are still doing that. And, and medics, you know, they're, we're all guilty of it too, right? Looking for that next thing and, and wanting to you know, be the guy. And it's a lot easier, like you said, when, oh, this unit's lacing their boots from the top down and it makes them run 50% faster. <laughs> like, you know, should probably do that. <laughs> um, you know, this unit doing this thing with this medication and, and not understanding that there might be a reason that that unit is doing that with that medication and has trained this thing for their medics. And it makes right. sense in the situations that they might be in. 
yeah, where it absolutely. might not make sense, right? Like, not saying it's always bad, right? But they don't understand the context, right? Correct. The content and the context, right? So, like, wholeheartedly agree. You know, like you know, you're talking about like the rocket fuel, right? So, and I, I get a. Thankfully, I get a chance to occasionally talk to the CR, some CRNAs and, uh, you know, docs that are you know, closer to the front than others. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I bring it up to them like, hey, you know, are you this is it. people keep saying you are doing this. You know, why are you doing it this way? Right. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. well, one, I'm this is my job. I do this all the time. So I'm 100 percent confident in it. And the other is soon as the ramp goes down, I'm going to throw this guy on a litter and we're going to do surgery. So I don't really have lots of time to do like a formal induction. Right. So yep. I'm going to rapidly put him in the hole. We're going to get him airway and they're going to start cutting probably before the bird lifts off. Yeah. Um, but then, Eventually. you know, the, you know, the ground medic sees that, or he gets the opportunity to talk to one of these people and they mentioned the same thing. And now, you know, pretty soon they have like shotgun bandoliers full of syringes that are like this. And they have zero experience doing it. They don't understand that you have like four different drugs and two of those are pretty dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. And you have no idea what you're doing, nor are you planning on taking this person into surgery. You just want them to not scream at you. Right. Yeah. So the context is off and like you're saying you know this is super sexy what everybody else is doing is lame so i'm gonna do the the cool thing yep yeah agreed and that's it's i get you into trouble Mm -hmm. and we're all guilty of it at one time or another yep absolutely yep i actually started the lacing from the top down but i've now switched (laughs) so (laughs) i went back yeah, went back to whatever was lame. Yeah, exactly. Established. Yeah, I kept falling. So, yeah. But uh, well, cool. Um, hey, thank you very much, Justin. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's always fun. I appreciate it. Be sure to go to our website www.prolongfieldcare.org. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Subscribe and stay on the bleeding edge of combat medicine. This is Dennis for the PFC Podcast. Out.